Well, church, you made it. Happy Spring Forward. I wasn't sure who was going to be here at 9 o'clock service. Y'all are awake and early here to ready to worship the Lord. That's great. And we are excited to open up the Word of God together this morning. As we have been both in the fall and spring, we have been studying what it means to follow Jesus through the book of Mark. And today, we will continue to do that. Church, we are creatures of hope. We all want something. That's not new. I mean, when Adam and Eve was created, they wanted knowledge. So they rebelled against God. And since their exile from the perfect garden, they're hoping and wanting to return to the garden. In times of Jacob, he wanted blessings. If only I get these blessings. And in times of Joseph, when there's famine in the land, his fathers and brothers wanted food, hope for survival. In times of conquest and exodus and all that, all they want, they desperately hope to return to their land, promised land. So something, wanting something, whatever you are wanting today, it's not new. We all hope and desire for something. And today's passage that we are about to look at is what's known as triumphal entry. Here in this passage, you heard it, Hosanna, which means save me now. People will project all their hope, aspiration to Jesus, to the King of Kings, as we have just sung. But is he really about what they hoped for? Or was he actually a little different than what they ever imagined or hoped for? And does that actually matter for us 2,000 years later? This Jewish king who entered the city, how does that matter for you and I, wherever we are sitting today? You'll soon come to find out that this Jewish king, Jesus, who entered the city, is a very paradoxical king. Uh, because in one sense, he's the king, but unlike any other king that the world has ever known, this king has come to save us, to redeem us. And how does this speak to us? As we dive in this passage, I do pray the Lord will speak to our hearts. And whatever you're hoping today, I pray that you come to a place where you say, God, I trust you with all my hopes and dreams and fears and aspirations. I don't know what you're going to do with it. You might answer exactly as I hoped for. Or you might completely take away and answering very differently than I've ever dared to hope. But I trust you because you are still sovereign God of our lives. You are the king that I serve. I pray that's our, our heart attitude as we dive in this morning. So in this passage that we are diving in, we'll examine three paradoxical characteristics of Jesus Christ. We'll see that he's a promised king and a humble king and a true sovereign king. And we will see how that matters to us, especially to our hopeful souls. So we'll talk about three characteristics of him. First, he's the promised king. He's the second humble king. Third, he's the true sovereign king that you and I desperately need more than we realized. 
So Mark chapter 11 is such an important chapter because when you read the book of Mark, 11 through 69, all the way to the end, this one-third of book of Mark. Mark spends the entirety of one-third of his penmanship for the last one week of Jesus' life. So Mark spends two-thirds of his ink on the 30 years of Jesus' life, and the last one week he reserved it just for one week of Jesus' life. And Mark is known for his brevity. He just gets the matter, next moving on, next moving on. It's very short and concise. And for him to say, let me pause here. This is really important. One week of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry, that last one week, changed the history of mankind. And I want to pause and really write out in detail about what this is all about. If you read the book of John, 11 to 21, that the, almost half of the entire book is devoted to the last one week of Jesus' earthly ministry. This is that crucial, what is happening. And today's passage, in a sense, is that when Jesus comes to the city, is the beginning of that one week, last one week of Jesus' life here on earthly ministry. So it's very important for us to really understand that. And in order to properly understand what is happening in this passage, we must go back a little before what leads up to this passage, chapter 11. We briefly touched on it last week, Bartimaeus. Here's blind man comes to Jesus. A sick man comes to Jesus. Jesus is leaving Jericho to come to Bethpage to enter into the city. And this man comes to Jesus and shouts out at the end of chapter 10, Son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, this son of David is a unique title that refers to messianic figure who comes to save. Crowd immediately notices what's happening. They're trying to shut him. No, 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 no. They're trying to stop him. But Bartimaeus repeats, son of David, have mercy on me. While the crowd is stopping him, Jesus stops the march to Bethpage, and they bring the man up, and he heals the man. Why is this significant, that son of David title? For the Jewish audience at the time, they immediately know what that title means because it's been prophesied throughout the centuries. Like, for example, Jeremiah 33, 15 and 16. Listen to what Jeremiah says about the line of David what the son of David will come to do. In Jeremiah 33, 15 and 16 says, In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. The son of David, the, come, the king that comes from David's line, is the ultimate king that these Israelite Jewish people have been waiting for. The people's proclamation of son of David was the first time in public Jesus' identity has been revealed. And son of David, this title, how people understood when they heard son of David, was the warrior king. Now, I'm going to take you to extra-biblical resource just in a moment. It's, it's the pseudopigrapha, which means it's not within 66 canon book of Bible. 
So as I quote this Psalms of Solomon, don't hear that as a Bible, hear that as almost historical account that helps what the people's expectation was about this son of David. This is what Psalms of Solomon says in 1721 and 22. It says, Behold, O Lord, raise up unto them their king, the son of David, at the time in which thou seest, O God, that he may reign over Israel thy servant, and gird him with the strength that he may shatter unrighteous rulers, and that he may purge Jerusalem from nations that trample her down to destruction. Do you see that? This is how Jewish people understood the warrior king, the Davidic king will come about. And now his identity, son of David, has been revealed in public. Now what? Stake is pretty high. Either Jesus has to come in as a king and triumph and take the throne, take the kingship, or he will be slaughtered as a revolutionary to make it or break it moment. Can you see that what people are expecting, warrior, kingdom, victor, and probably people are expecting Jesus, this Davidic king has come, deliver us from all the oppression and persecution. And not only that, and on top of that, now people's expectation pretty high about the son of David. On top of that, timing of this triumphal entry is pretty crucial because when does it take place? Mark on account doesn't tell us because when you actually read John chapter 12, it does tell us when it takes place. Like when you read John chapter 12, 1 and verse 22, listen to what John says. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. Verse 12, the next day the great crowd had come for the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus enters the city during the time of Passover. Why is it pretty crucial for us to understand? Because what's Passover? Passover is a Jewish holiday which people commemorate once a year about how God has delivered Israelites out of Egyptians for their oppression, for their persecution, for their slavery. God brings 10 plagues through Moses, and then God leads the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery and oppression and persecution. Now, that's the background where Jesus enters the city. Jesus has been just declared for the first time, son of David. Oh, people are thinking, yes, warrior king has come. And it happens to be during the time of Passover, which people would be, if you're Jewish people, immediately identify, oh, wow, God led Israelites out of Egypt. Now God's going to lead us out of Romans' oppression. And the son of David, warrior king, is about to come. This promised king is about to come and slaughter Roman Empire and take me out of discomfort. Our new David, our ultimate Moses has come to lead us out of this oppression. Our promised king has come. Now, that's the expectation that Jesus is walking into. Stake is pretty high. But is that what Jesus is all about? No, not at all. You will come to see that Jesus has been prophesying three times in the book of Mark already. We talked about it three times, how he said over and over and over again, I'll be rejected. I'll be handed over to a man and I'll be killed. He did not come as a warrior king, but a suffering king. And he comes in the city receiving people's praise. Look verse 11, 8 and 9. What do people say? 
And many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the field. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. What a juxtaposition that we are about to see. Because people are praising, Hosanna, you come in the name of the Lord? You are the line of David? Yes, our warrior king, the victor, has come. But Jesus... It's not about that. He came in his weakness, and he's about to march into the city. If you are Jesus, what would you think at that moment, church? Don't undermine this praise of people, because it's an amazing scene. The people are preaching, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus recognized their praise. In Luke's account, Jesus said, hey, if you silence them, the rocks will cry out. Let them praise me, even though they got no idea what they're really praising for. They are asking for a life, comfort, prosperity, but I'm not here to give them a life, but an ultimate life, true life, everlasting life. They praise me, but they got no idea. The fact that Jesus still receives the praise of his people. Yet Jesus knows, yes, I'm the promised king, and yet misunderstood king but he still takes time to receive people's praise for they don't even know what they're doing, but Jesus still receives that for love. And he will soon go to the cross. This, what people call it as triumphal entry, is only a corridor to gallow. He'll soon be crucified a week later. Can you imagine what Jesus would have thought? Yes, he still receives the praise. Mountains will clap their hands. Rocks will cry out. But do you know what I'm really here for? Here, that's Jesus whom we are studying today. A promised king and yet misunderstood king. Hold that thought. We'll continue to go. That second characteristic that we learn about this passage is that Jesus is a humble king, Jesus so what people are expecting in this passage of triumphal entry was a powerful King Jesus. I don't know whether some of you guys in my generation maybe watched The Gladiator. Some of my older generation, maybe you watched The Banner. What does it happen when they enter into the city as a king of victor? They come in with a war horse. They come with a chariot. They come with the mightiest might and king rides in great parade. Uh, but what's the vehicle that Jesus chooses for his coronation ceremony here? A donkey, as any of you know. Look, verse 2. Jesus saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden, untied, and bring it there. Hold on to that no one has ever ridden. I'll come back to that. And bring it over here. So Jesus rides a mere donkey for his installation as a king. Why does Jesus do that? In one sense, it's to fulfill the prophecy that's been prophesied 500 years ago in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. But why? 
Why? Besides prophecy, why would Jesus ride a donkey? What's wrong with the picture? Not getting all the war horse, chariots, and glory. Who rides the donkey? King rides the war horse and the mightiest of the mighty. But servant and a child rides a donkey. He comes in the lowest form of lowest. And not only that, can you imagine riding donkey in a war setting? If the king fights the battle in the donkey, king would be slaughtered in a second. The donkey is not agile. Donkey will not be able to take you where you need to go. The king is vulnerable in a donkey. But Jesus humbles himself like a servant, like a servant rise, and he comes with a donkey. That's the very vehicle that Jesus chooses to enter into the very city. Jesus is not showing his strength as a king, but a weakness and vulnerability. And not only that, that's, that's only one paradox, but did you hear what Zechariah said? It says, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding a donkey. Gentle? Is that the image you think about the kingdom of Victor typically? But Jesus is a gentle king. Why does he say the warrior is not gentle? He's king, mighty king, yet he's also meek. He will be victorious one day, but he's also a gentle king. He doesn't ride a war horse, comes in strength, but he comes in weakness in a mere donkey. Why does that matter to us, he's saying? It's as if Jesus isn't, yes, I am a king. I'll come to save you, but I'm not the type of king that fits in your imagination, your understanding of this world, who comes in strength. And here is the gospel truth here, church. The reason why I find the gospel so attractive that Jesus came in the form of weakness. Jesus was born weak. Jesus entered the city weak. Jesus will die in weakness and vulnerability. His advent came in the form of vulnerability and weakness in a football. His advent to its execution a week later, this is what we know as triumphal entry, the advent to crucifixion comes in humility and weakness. And his death on the cross of Jesus Christ a week later will be naked and ashamed, dying complete, weak, and vulnerable. Do you know what Jesus is trying to say through the gospel story of all this? Gospel is not for those who are strong. We are made. We, we crave for strength, aren't we? We want to be in control. We want to be powerful. But gospel is for those who are weak and vulnerable. And I find that so attractive. I really do. Because I constantly feel like I can't. This is too much. I want to just pull myself up by booster. I just want to do it, but I just can't. I often feel that way so many times. But gospel tells me, Jin, it's okay. My truth, the gospel truth for those who are weak and vulnerable, who are broken. When you think about it, all the other forms of religion, with respect of all the other religions represented here, you may be believing in other religion. they will ask you to come in the strength and just call it Buddhism. Buddhism say you must realize and understand that this world is illusion. Come to God by realizing that. Moralism says you must pull yourself up. Do good, then you will be saved. But Jesus Christ says, no, gospel is for the weak. I came in weakness. I entered to my crucifixion in weakness, and I'll die in weakness. All those who are weak and vulnerable, come to me right now today. So if any of you out there are feeling like, but you know, I constantly mess up. 
I just feel like I don't deserve it. I, I cannot. I don't even know where I am. Come to Jesus just as you are. Jesus comes in the form of a humble servant to bring us the greatest gift you and I can imagine. That's our humble King Jesus. So the question we are asking today then, why does promised and misunderstood king, why does this humble king matter to you and I for our hopeful soul? That's where I want to spend the majority of time next few minutes here. Why does it matter? Because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is not only misunderstood and humble, yet he's the true sovereign king you and I need. Why is that? Let me give you a couple of realities. In the end, do you realize that, church, you and I are made for the king? We really are. We, deep down, as much as we seek autonomy, we want a true good king who will govern us and lead us. That's why perhaps people are craving for superhero movies who is good and sacrificial to lead them through these days. And if not just these days, when you think about it, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote very short essays called, it's not the most well-known piece, but short essay called Equality. In there, Lewis explains so well that we are made for king. We are craving for the true good king. L- listen to what Lewis says in his essay, Equality. He says, monarchy is easily debunked. The actual record of kings is abysmal, full of tyranny. Yet, where we are forbidden to honor a king... We will honor millionaires, athletes, or movie stars instead. Even famous gangsters. Deny it food and it will gobble poison. Do you know what Louis is saying? If you don't have a true king who will rule over you, you will find other kings of your life. And that will destroy you eventually. Deny it food what is good for them. It will gobble poison. We are constantly longing for the true good king, and we are seeking that in all kinds of different places. As much as you would like to believe it, your career is not a good king for you. That cannot be the possible king. What are you going to do when you get let go of your job? Uh, People say money is the king. Money will not save you. Look what happened at the bank in California. (laughs) Stock market crashes just like that. Sometimes we make family our king. If only I have family, good family, everything would be great. Family can be a king for you. We're constantly craving for the good king who will lay down his life, die for us, fight for us. What is that king that you are making in your life? I think also many of us are worshiping what I call this circumstantial king. Man, you daydream. If only this happens, that happens. But your hypothetical king will only die for you hypothetically. In other words, if only the king, whatever kings you have in your life, whether it be money, whether it be power you're craving, whether it be the beautiful retirement home you're craving for, in the end, it will not die for you. It will only demand you to die for them. Have the king of your career. You think if you only get to this position, you'll be happy and successful? Momentarily, you will get that, but you'll only crave for more eventually. Say that you just wanted a 500K in your account. Get there. Look at what happens. Before you know it, you want a million dollars. It will only demand you to die, worship in the presence of the king of career, king of money, 
And sometimes that can even be whatever you love the most. You need a true king, true humble king who will govern over you. We are made for that, created for that. So what kind of king are you looking for today? Because you are made for a king. Yeah, look to the king who is true and sovereign king. How do I know that Jesus is true and sovereign king even in his humility here in donkey? Now, let me dive in. This is a nugget I really want you to think about. What I'm about to say, I'm, I call it donkeyology. <laughs> I made up the word. Let's take a look at this account from the perspective of a donkey. It's like donkeyology 101. Let's go. Uh, here, what's fascinating about this passage, I don't know whether you're noticing verse 2, but when you look at verse 2 in this case, what does it say? This donkey has never been ridden. Wait a second. Think about that. First of all, kings don't ride a donkey. They ride a horse. When they ride a horse, what do they ride? Most trained professional one, calm one. I don't know whether we have equestrian here in our gathering, equestrian in our body. When I was a youth pastor about 15 years ago, and one of my youth girls was riding horse professionally. She loved it. So one day she has me over, and Jen, you want to ride a horse with me? I'm like, yeah, I would love that. So I go, and then I'm trying to walk behind the horse, and she said, never walk behind the horse. So I'm like, why not? Because it can kick you. You can get killed for that in a moment. And then sure enough, I didn't go past behind. One time, horse kicked and hit the metal door. It was so loud that I was thinking, yeah, if that hit me, I would die. And what does horse do? Have you ever ridden, never ridden a horse before? The horse said, oh, King Jin, I'm so glad that you're riding on me. Your majesty, let me obey whatever you lead me. No. It's like watching rodeo. It would try to buck off. It would go crazy. Donkey's the same too. But Jesus chooses unbroken donkey here. Do you notice the never-ridden donkey? And on top of that, when you think about it, this unbroken donkey is about to walk in, this crowd, this mob, the crazy Hosanna. Unbroken donkey, they'll be so startled. They'll like try to buck off anybody. Why is Jesus true sovereign king you and I need? Because he's still in control of the whole situation. All commentators virtually point out that Jesus is in charge even in his humiliation here, in his humility as he walking. Jesus is the one who arranged that. And even this unbroken donkey obeys his master's voice. One commentator puts it this way, in the midst of this excited crowd, an unbroken animal remains calm under the hands of the one who also calmed the sea. Uh, the donkey is fearless in the middle of a screaming crowd because Jesus, the Lord of his life, is in charge. He's the true and sovereign king. Chilton, when Jesus is in charge of your life, he can change you without crushing you. Really, when, Jesus, when you let Jesus to be in charge of your life, he can change you without crushing you. Will you yield to him? Even in this unbroken donkey, in the middle of this crazy change of people, he obeys a gentle Savior who leads him. If this unbroken donkey trusts Jesus' leading and does not fear the circumstances, this people, so you can. Let him receive praise and glory. The donkey is not the star here, but Jesus receives all the praise and glory in your life. 
and you just ride along this journey with Jesus, let him lead you, let him guide you. Look at this unbroken donkey in the hand of a master, Jesus Christ, as Jesus leads him. Chilton, what are you desperately trying to control today? You are not in control. Why do you need a true sovereign king? Because he's still under control of all your circumstances. You can rest in him today. What are the things that you desperately hope for? Just like this crowd who imported, who projected all their hopes to Jesus. Jesus, do this, do this for me. Deliver from Roman Empire. Give me prosperity, comfort. What are the things that you are importing to Jesus? You're not aligning to Jesus' agenda, but you're aligning to your agenda. But the one who does right in this passage is this humble donkey, unbroken donkey, who lets Jesus lead him through crowd letting jesus receive all the honor and glory thirdly why do we need this true and sovereign king because you don't want a people-pleasing king in your life do you i said it the god of money will please you momentarily but it will only leave you more dry and more dead than ever before you need a king who will give you what you need not what you want sometimes you don't even know what you want it changes your mind every day I don't even know what I want. You don't want a king who just wants to please you, give you everything you want. But you need Jesus Christ who will give you not what you want, but what you need. See, sometimes what we want, church, is sometimes way too shallow. It's like, if only I have this or that. But what you really need is go underneath of all that. Why do you think you need the perfect health? Why do you think you need the this much amount of security fund why do you think all that because what your heart is longing for is a perfect peace and harmony the rest of your soul true belonging and only jesus christ can give that but oftentimes you use jesus to get what you want jesus is the king of the kings is only a means to an end to whatever you desire too shallow what are those for you Will you surrender that to Jesus and trust him that he is the king who gives us what we need, not what we want? What if Jesus entered the coronation ceremony in the triumphal entry and says, Okay, crowd, you cheer for me. I get carried away by your, pro- your chant. I am great. Okay, let me pull that sword and kill Roman Empire. We all would have been damned today. His way of salvation was through the cross in his weakness. Jesus does not yield to crowds wants, but he goes for his need. He does not circumvent crowds' need at the expense of what they want. Jesus is the good king. When God does that, though, doesn't that hurt? You desperately wanted this, whatever you are praying so much about. What if God does not allow that today, church? Oh, that would be really painful. But will you trust that, though, even when God doesn't grant what you want? God still sees what you want, but he will give you exactly what you need each moment of the day. Will you trust him for that? Can I trust him for that in the end? What is your Hosanna today, church? That means just save me now. What are you crying out for? Save me now today. Can you even yield that? Lord, I want to be saved from this I don't know whether I'll ever be delivered. I don't know whether I ever struggle with this or not. But God, I come just as I am. Take it and give me what I need, not what I want. I shall not want, and I'll yield my desire to you. That's the attitude of Jesus Christ when we enter the garden. Father, not my will, 
but your will. Do what we need for love rather than just giving me what I want. Jesus yielded himself. Why do you need a true sovereign king? Because you are made for a king. Because he's still in charge of your life. Even this unbroken donkey obeys. And because he's the king who will give us what we need, not necessarily just what we want. And lastly, lastly, how does Jesus give us what we need today? Then I wanted to examine that. Fourth, see the king on his mission to the temple. As I said, this passage ends in very anticlimactic. As I was reading through this passage, a lot of people are saying, this is the very most anticlimactic coronation service ever. Jesus enters the city. Verse 10, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest in the heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into temple courts. It's very nonchalant. It ends just like that. Why does it end in such anticlimactic way? Because this... This was only the pathway to the temple. Jesus' destination was the temple. And what is happening in the temple? They offer up sacrifice for your sins. Jesus goes into the temple as the Lamb of God, not as a lion. What did Jesus say? Destroy this temple and are raised in three days. Jesus goes there as the Lamb of God in weakness to be slaughtered on the cross of Jesus Christ for you and I to give us what we need and not necessarily just what we want. Will you trust him today? He's on his mission to the temple for you and I. He'll spend next two chapters just in the temple. When you find Jesus Christ on the cross, if you just find him useful for you to get whatever you want, you will always be completely using him as if Jesus is just your assistant. To the degree that you find him beautiful, our God, his advent in weakness, advent to his procession in weakness, death in weakness, when you find him so beautiful, not useful, you will begin to be humbled. And you will begin to realign your agenda to his agenda and trust God today. You are giving me what I need, not what I want. See our king whose mission is fixed on the temple and he will be slaughtered, humble king, naked, ashamed for you and I. What are the things that you desperately hope today? In this passage, we are just like the crowd. We are crying out, Hosanna. But are you truly saying Hosanna for your own gain? Is your Hosanna aligned to Jesus' agenda? Jesus is here to receive the praise of Hosanna. Save me now. And he will. But the way he saves you will be very different than the way you and I want. We want to save us now, upward, onward, happiness, prosperity. But sometimes you'll save us through the deep down in the valley. Do you find him beautiful? That's the way he chose today. I hope and pray as a church that whatever your desire is today, you will surrender to him. And as you cry out, Hosanna, see your Hosanna in light of a crucified Savior, Jesus Christ, who went there as a Lamb of God, he will be risen again as a lion. But at once first he goes as a lamb of God, not as a warrior king, but suffering, rejected king. This may be triumphal entry for you and I, but for him it was his pathway to the glorious and your most humiliating lowest place on earth's cross because he loved us. What is your Hosanna today? 
Let me pray for us. God, I want to yield my life to you. I know that you are in charge of my life. But often I feel like maybe they're like the horse that's never been ridden before. I'm desperately trying to get you off my back. Get off, Jesus. I want to live. But, oh, Lord, would you humble ourselves because you are a humble king who came in weakness, died in weakness, in vulnerability for our sins to give us what we need. Because somehow I'm so hung up in what I want, not what I need. I think what I want is what I need. But, oh, Lord, cause us to humble ourselves that our true hopes that we are hoping for does not lie in just fulfillment of our want, but trusting that you are giving us exactly what we need today. May they give us gospel shalom and peace that our hearts are longing for on this day. Lord, I lift up the hearts of our people. I'm sure we have all great prayer requests. I do. I'm sure all of us here are longing for something. But, oh God, you're such a paradoxical king. You didn't come as you all of us expected so i'm sure the way you answer our prayers and desire of it sometimes quite different to us will be paradoxical to us it's perplexing but even at that moment oh lord will you cause us to yield ourselves to you oh god change us daily and we trust that you are gentle savior when you're truly in charge of our lives you will change us without crushing us to despair we trust that you will do that to the hearts of our people so that we can truly see our suffering King Jesus Christ for who he is. And God, we cannot wait one day that three days later you are risen as a king of victor. And that reality will be promised to us when you come back once again. And you have saved us. And we'll sing with great joy until that day, sustain us and guide us, lead us today. In your precious name we pray, amen.